You guys sound really good. You might not know this, but singing isn't every ministry's strength. You know, sometimes in Albany, I think we might be uh, known more for uh, a joyful noise. But, uh, you know, just... Just so you know that sometimes we've been so hard up, we even asked Ryan to come up and help with part singing. Just so you know. But he stepped out on faith and he helped us out. We just turned off his mic. But uh, now that it's really good to be here, and I know honestly, it, it was a really it's a godsend that we had Ryan and Katie. They helped our ministry. They were a great encouragement. They helped people become disciples there. And uh, we're really thankful that you guys lent them to us for a little bit. Um, I'm going to pray here and then we'll get into the lesson. But I'm going to pray too. I'm going to pray for our brother Daniel in Albany who is preaching for the very first time. I I tend to like to be there if our brother is going to preach for the first time. But it doesn't always work out in the small church. But uh, I just texted him a little bit. Slow down. And so you might have to remind me, I speak pretty fast myself, but we try to remind each other to slow down. But he's preaching for the very first time. Uh, Sometimes it's a challenge in a small church. You know, you have to preach a lot and that's great, but it can also be very challenging. And uh, I think you already know this, but you guys have an amazing couple here leading the Burlington Church. And what I respect about them is that it's just, I feel like, man, they're just genuine Christians. Just genuine people that love God. And uh, it's hard as, uh, you know, I'm in my mid-40s, pushing towards 50 quick. Um, but it's when you're a, a younger married, young kids. I mean, that's a lot. And they are to be commended, uh, for, you know, for their leadership and how they lead uh, out of their love and faith in God. But uh, let's pray and then we'll get into the Word of God. Uh, Father, we are grateful today to be together uh, to worship you. Uh, Father, we have nothing without you, nothing of value. And we are so grateful that you would come and that you would rescue us, that you would lift us out of that slimy pit of sin that we could not get out of on our own. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so kind and so gracious. Thank you for being so patient with us. Sometimes we are slow, so slow to learn. Uh, But you keep working with us. And we're grateful for that. But uh, we pray, Father, that we could be a ministry that's pleasing to you in Burlington and Albany. Uh, I pray for my brother Daniel. Our brother Daniel, I pray that you would work through him today as he preaches in Albany. I pray that you'd work through him and that your Holy Spirit lead him this morning. But uh, we love you and we thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So God, he's been very uh, good to me. Uh, very generous, kind, very patient. Um, just to give you a little bit of my backstory, I was invited out to church for the first time in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, in 1995. Uh, I was sitting in front of the Gap at the Mall of America, the biggest mall in the country. I'm minding my own business, and I'm sitting there, and I see these two guys, you know, walking up to me. And and first of all, it just kind of struck me: these two guys, why are they hanging out? They just didn't seem to be the kind of guys that would hang out with each other. But um, they come up and they're like, hey, we want to invite you out to church. And, uh, you know, that was my very first weekend in Minneapolis. So I'm just like, you know what? That would be smart of me to go to church. You know, a new city, a new start. And I thought, why not? And so I actually, I'm at the University of Minnesota at the time. So I'm like, I don't have a car. They're like, no problem. We'll come get you. And so I don't know. I look back now. I'm like, yeah, you're perfect strangers. Come pick me up and let's go. Um, But I did and I went. And I actually, I started to study the Bible. 
I studied the Bible and one day got baptized. No, I didn't do that. Um, I studied the Bible and then I stopped. For the simple reason that the Bible studies convicted me. And I wanted to keep sinning. And so, these Bible studies, they make me feel bad. They make me feel guilty. So let's not do them anymore. And so I wouldn't call these guys back. Uh, but you know what happened? My plan, this plan that I had, it didn't work out. And so about nine months later, I'm like, you know, God, could you help me out? You know, could you help, you know, this is kind of, you know, pre-internet and all that stuff. I didn't have their numbers and I'm like, man, God, I wish I could find these guys again. And it's amazing, but um, I'm getting ready to graduate. I just need, I don't really actually need any credits. I'm just kind of killing time. So I decided, you know, I should work on my writing skills. So let me sign up for advanced expository writing. Yeah, right? Like, I don't know why I did that. But I, I, I go, and the class was packed. So they're like, well, we're going to have a lottery. Whoever has the most credits gets to stay in this class. And I had like 200 or some credits. And so I won the lottery. I get to stay in the class. And then a few days later, I'm walking out. And then this guy, he kind of follows me out of class. He says, excuse me, did you visit the Minneapolis St. Paul Church of Christ last summer? Guys, I went one time, you know, to church. I visited one time, nine months earlier, and he remembered me in the fellowship. You have to understand, the University of Minnesota is over 55,000 students. 55,000 students. Full-time, part-time is 70,000. The campus ministry was under 30. And he just happened to be in my... He just happened. What a coincidence that he was in my class. wasn't a coincidence, right? It was God. But I was praying, God, you know, help me. Just that, those prayers, those cries, and he listens. You know, at that time I listened, I kind of humbled out after my you know, plans had fallen apart. But I became a disciple, I got baptized May 15th, 1996. Yeah, that was exciting. And, um, and so, uh, I've been going to church ever since. And they actually let me do the ministry, I'm really amazed. Um, but I can't say it's always been rosy. Uh, over the last, you know, 23 years, there's been storms, some big, some small. Um, you know, some of the smaller storms, you know, I remember liking a certain sister that wasn't Evelyn. And, you know, I really liked her and, and um, she didn't like me back. And, you know what, I thank God for that. You know, I thank God for that. You know, but at that time, I remember, God, why aren't you blessing me? You know, a few years later, God would bless me with the perfect sister and Evelyn. You know, but at the time, I was really kind of not feeling God's plan. But other storms, much bigger storms would come. You know, early in our marriage, we experienced a miscarriage with our first pregnancy. I remember when Maddie, when Evelyn was pre- uh, pregnant with Maddie, you know, the, the doctors, they do the sonogram. And they said, well, we found this choroid plexi cyst in Madeline's brain, the baby's brain. And I'm like, that doesn't sound good. And, you know, then they tell you all the complications that could come. And that's really scary. Now, the good thing, amen, it turned out fine that the cyst completely dissolved and disappeared and Madeline was born healthy. And that was a blessing. Uh, When AJ, our second, was born, um, we were in for one of the early checkups and the doctor detected, you know, some, uh, a murmur. And so we had him checked out. And so the doctor says, well, we found a ventricular septal defect. And I'm like... That doesn't sound good either. And what is that? And then they say, well, that's a, he has a hole in his heart. I don't have to go to med school to know a hole in your heart is not a good thing. But thankfully, that was small. It was, you know, and he's been 
perfectly healthy. Um, but that scared me. That scared me incredibly. You know, I lost a couple jobs along the way. Um, you know, at times I've just, to be honest, I've struggled. I've struggled with trusting God. You know, and asking God, you know, God, why is this particular thing, why is it happening to me? And um, it hasn't always been easy. At times it hasn't always seemed fair. At times I've doubted the goodness of God. And I know that these are probably things unique to me. That you guys have had those struggles before. You know, but just a couple questions, you know, if you can ask yourself. Do you believe that God is generous with you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is generous with you? Do you believe that God is always fair to you? You know, have you ever asked God, God, do you see me here? You ever asked God that? Have you ever looked at other disciples and said, hey, when is it my turn? You've looked at other disciples and you saw, well, when is that going to happen to me? When am I up to that? You know, I thought at times, God, I've left everything. Right? Isn't that what we said when we got baptized? We would give up everything, go anywhere for Jesus. And then we don't feel like God is blessing us in return. You know, the Apostle Peter wanted to know the answer to that question. The question is, what's in it for us? He had just witnessed Jesus challenge a rich man to sell everything. And what did the rich man do? He didn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And he ended up walking away and he wouldn't follow Jesus. You know, Jesus tells them it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. But Peter, he still, he wants to know what is in it for us, for those that follow Jesus. Because he said, Jesus, we left everything. You know, they still, they didn't understand who God was. And they wanted to know, is it going to be worth it? Is it going to be worth it? Is the pain going to be worth it? Is the disappointment, is it going to be worth it? You know, so Jesus, he tells a parable. He's going to paint a word picture. And he's going to help them to understand the nature of God and his kingdom. So if you can, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to read Matthew 21. We're going to start with 1 through 16 together. You guys ready to get in the word? Let's do it. Let's dig. Matthew 20 verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Well, because no one's hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And we'll stop here. So now we're introduced here in this parable to the players. We start off with the landowner. What does he do? Well, he goes out early in the morning to hire workers in his fields. Now, a typical workday was divided into four three-hour slots starting at 6 a.m. So he goes to that spot where men would congregate that were looking for work. And he finds a group of men there, and there's an agreement for a denarius, which was a common payment for a day's worth of work. And then they go to work for him at 6 a.m., nice and early. 
But he comes back again at 9 a.m. And he sees men still standing there doing nothing. So he hires them as well. But now there's no agreement. There's no agreement this time. And he says, I'll pay whatever's right. Then he goes out again at noon. Then he goes out at 3 and he does the exact same thing. And then at 5 p.m. with only one hour left in the workday, he finds men who had been standing there all day long. And the landowner, he wants to know why. Well, they say no one's hired us. So these men, he, gets, he hires them. They head to work as the others are getting ready to wrap up their full day of work. But can you imagine the looks on these men's faces that had been in the fields all day long? You know, it's almost quitting time. And they're thinking, man, it's about pay time. But here comes these other stragglers. Okay, Let's keep reading here. Verse 8. It says, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, foreman uh, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came, so, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they hired it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Imagine the scene. Imagine the men that had worked in the fields all day long. I grew up in rural Minnesota. Summer jobs, you would go rock pick. You would bean spray. Or you detassel corn, but you're walking for hours and hours in in the dirt between the corn and the sun... I mean, you are dirty, you are messy, you are sweaty, you are stinky. Here are these guys, they've been working since 6 a.m., 12 hour, a 12-hour work day. And then you have the guys that worked an hour and barely broke a sweat. You know, the landowner, he tells the manager, start with the men hired last. So they each received the denarius. Can you imagine the look on their faces? Man, we only worked an hour and we got a full day's pay. I don't think they were expecting that. But now it's time to pay the men who had worked all day. They were expecting more. But what did they receive? Exactly what they had agreed upon with the landowner. They got exactly what they had bargained for. They got exactly what they had asked for. And they were livid. You know, it's interesting, the landowner, he could have paid these men first, right? He could have given them the denarius and he could have just avoided all the drama. They would have left content with their pay. Hey, we got what we had asked for. You know, that's not the way God works. You know, and here we have, you know, the landowner being God. He says, you know, wait a minute. Hey, you know, it's my money. It's my money. Why are you upset? You know, is it because I'm generous? 
He had made a contract with these men and he'd honored it. The other men went to work not knowing what they would get paid. They simply trusted the reputation of the landowner, that he was generous. You know, Jesus, he makes an incredible point in this parable. He teaches us that God dispenses gifts, not wages. I think that's important to understand that God dispenses gifts, not wages. You know, this parable doesn't make economic sense, right? It doesn't make economic sense because it's not about economics. It's about the heart that God has for the people of His kingdom. You know, God makes the choice to be generous. And this generosity isn't cheap. His generosity comes at an incredible price to Him. Let's keep reading here. In Matthew 20, verse 17, it says, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, He took the twelve aside and He said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn Him to death. And He will hand Him and will hand Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, to be flogged, and to be crucified. And then on the third day, He will rise to life. Brothers and sisters, God makes the choice to be generous. But God chooses grace because Jesus chose the cross. There's a little poem from Max Lucado. He says, You have a ticket to heaven that no thief can take. You have an eternal home no divorce can break. Every sin of your life has been cast into the sea. Every mistake you've made is nailed to the tree. You are a blood-bought and heaven-made, a child of God, forever saved. So be grateful, joyful, for isn't it true? What you don't have is much less than what you do. You know, it's easy to look at others. You know, we can look at people in the world and be jealous. I saw, driving up, I saw this guy in a Ferrari and I thought, you know what? I'm never going to drive a Ferrari. <laughs> you know, I look at some of the boats on the lake and I'm like, honestly, before I became a Christian, I had three goals. I wanted to marry a beautiful woman. I wasn't that deep of a guy. I admit that. <laughs> I wanted a beautiful wife, a house on a lake with a boat. That's all I was shooting for. I, I, I'm like, I don't need to begin. That's all I wanted. I'm like, if I hit those three things, I'm good. And I'm going to enjoy it. That was it. Three things. But I, sometimes I see those boats, I see these cars. You know, and I, get, I, can, I, can, I, oh, I can desire those things in my heart. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car or a boat. You know, but even what I think is even more dangerous at times is that we can look at other Christians... And we can feel, why has God blessed them and not me? You know, I've worked harder. I've given up more for the kingdom. I said that as a baby Christian when that sister didn't like me back. I said, God, I just gave up everything. God's like, I got some better, something better in store. Just hang on. But it was hard in the moment as a young Christian. I think it'd still be hard as an older Christian. You know, Peter, when Jesus told him the type of death that he would die, he looked at John and said, what about him? What about him? Jesus replied, I want him to remain alive. He says, what's that to you? 
Peter, stop keeping score and follow me. I have my own plan for your life and you will glorify me by being faithful to that plan. You know, Peter struggled with understanding the generosity of God and he had walked with Jesus. But Peter, he struggled with keeping score. He wanted to know what's in it for me. He would learn. You know, at the end of his life, he would write this in his last letter to the, to the disciples. And you can just listen. You don't have to turn there. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, But this is his admonishment now. This is Peter at the end of his life. He's telling the Christians, he says, But grow in the grace. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he says to him, be glory both now and forever. Amen. You know, does God expect that we might struggle with understanding his grace and generosity? Yeah, I think so. But he's given us his word to remind us that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. I'm so thankful that God does not dispense wages. Because we know the wages that we've earned, right? We know that passage. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the question that we have to ask is, what what do I believe God is like? What do I believe that God is like? You know, do you relate to the worker? Because honestly, I used to not like this parable. I would align myself. That's not fair. That's not fair. They've worked all day long. They deserve more. You know, but who do you relate to? Do you relate to that worker who started at 6 a.m. who feels this isn't fair? Do you work for God as if there's a contract? I do this and you do that? Or do you resemble the 11th hour worker who couldn't believe the generosity of the landowner? You know, he had a great story to tell when he went home. He's going, you're never going to believe what happened to me today. I was hired by a man who was so generous, so kind. He was so merciful to me. Man, there was only one hour left, but he came and he found me. Look at what he gave me. But how do you feel? How do you feel? Is there something that's stealing your joy as a disciple? Is there an area of your life that's causing you to doubt the goodness of God? You know, for some of us, we know exactly that thing that's causing us to doubt the generosity of God. You know, and I'm not going to tell you, just get over it. Like you can flip a switch and the fear is gone or the disappointment has gone. You're going to have to fight for that. You're going to have to fight for that. You're going to have to remember that you're in a spiritual battle. You know, Satan desires... To steal your joy. He wants to steal your connection with the Father and the comfort and the grace that only He can give. But God has given you His Spirit and His Spirit can give you a peace that transcends all understanding. He has given you a Spirit that can comfort you in the hardest of times. His Spirit will lead you to greener pastures and still waters. His Spirit can refresh you. I want to encourage you today. God sees you. Here in Burlington, God sees you. This little tiny church in Burlington. God sees you. That little tiny church in Albany. God sees us. Our ministries matter to God. Your life matters to God. 
Your joy matters to God. Your peace matters to God. He wants you to know it's going to be okay. When you're hurting, God says, I hurt with you. I love that about God. You hurt, I hurt. You can trust me. You can trust me. I will be generous with you. God is generous. You know, if I haven't withheld my one and only son, what good thing would I withhold from you? What would I hold back from you? You know, the challenge is for us and for you and for me is to go back and focus on the reward. And what is our reward? It's God. It's God. He has placed us in His kingdom not to compare ourselves with one another, but to help one another experience and feel His generosity. You know, Proverbs 11.24 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. But imagine if we were all like that 11th hour, you know, if we were 11th hour Christians. You know, back in Albany, there's a brother that Ryan helped become a disciple. His name is Patrick. I think of Patrick as an 11th hour Christian. You know, when he first came, I don't know how to describe Patrick. Uh, pathologically shy. I, you know, where he would literally just, he would just stand frozen in fear, unable to talk. But now he's the first brother every Sunday. He's the last one to leave. He's there setting up chairs. You know, he's not under contract to set up the chairs. He's not under contract to stay late and shut the lights off. But why is he the first one there and the last one to leave? He's grateful. He's grateful. I think about a sister who, you know, and you know, as you guys know, and a lot of you really feel it when people leave the ministry and have to go and move for work or family or for different things. But there was this dear sister named Fran. Man, this sister had been through so much hurt. But you would see her every Sunday just praising God. So grateful to be with her church family. So grateful to be a Christian. And I thought, how could she go through that and endure all that pain and still have the spirit of joy? It's because she's not working. She's not working. She knows the landowner. And she has felt the generosity of the king. She felt his grace. She has felt his mercy, his provision. While people, many people had let her down and had hurt her, she knew that God had never had done that, had never done that to her. Guys, imagine if we really understood the generosity of the landowner. What if we understood that the landowner wasn't a boss keeping track of all of our shortcomings, but was really our father. A father who doesn't withhold any good thing from his children. Think about that. What would our fellowship be like? A group of people who feel so privileged to be here. Imagine our fellowship. Imagine what wouldn't we sacrifice for the body. 
Imagine how generous, how generous would we be with each other? How eager we would be to share our faith. Man, you need to know my God. You need to know the generosity of my God. You need to know how He's treated me. You know, there's a reason why Paul, he prayed for the Ephesian Christians, that God would open the eyes to their hearts so that they could grasp the height, the width, and the depth of God's love and generosity. He had to pray that, and he prayed that for them because it's beyond comprehension. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, and we're going to close here, it says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Brothers and sisters, we've got so many amazing things in store for us. Can I give you a challenge this week? Church, is that okay? Give them a challenge? I want you to pray this this week. It's a simple prayer. God, help me to understand your generosity. Let's pray that every day this week. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for having us.